Hello, my friends. This is Coach Aaron Saft and the Running is Life podcast. Today's guest is Jamie Middleman. Jamie is um, the founder of and quite a huge piece of the organization Flame Bearers. And this organization tries to put um, women Olympians, Paralympians, and potential Olympians and Paralympians and their stories at the forefront so other women can learn their stories and see that you know these things are possible. It's, it's a wonderful story. Uh, we talk about some really amazing topics um, and some things that women athletes face and what the flame bearers do to try to help share these stories. So I hope you'll have a listen. It's a very engaging conversation. I really appreciate Jamie and her time and all that she's doing for, um, for our sport and for women. So please have a conversation and listen to the conversation with Jamie. Uh, afterwards, I will get back on and talk about everything else that's going on in the running as life world. So uh, thank you, Jamie, for your time. And here's our conversation. All right. I'm very excited for our guest here, Jamie Middleman. Jamie, uh, we got to talk a little bit before we got started. But um, I just want to start with uh, an introduction with Jamie and just give us the the cliff notes about Jamie Middleman. Where did she come from? Uh, what is her background and uh, what brought her to this point of the uh, Flame Bearers organization? Sure. Hi, team. I'm excited to be here. I'm Jamie, um, born and raised Boston girl. Um, growing up, sport was a huge part of my life. It was uh, where I had many of my highest highs, my lowest lows. Um, I was a three-season athlete throughout high school and college. Um, I played soccer for a bit. I, I could have run track, but I, I realized that that was probably not my sport, um, even though you know, I had done it throughout high school. Um, and I ended up um, in the media and communications world for a while on the corporate side of things. Ended up going back and getting my MBA from Dartmouth and then a master's in policy from the Harvard Kennedy School. And it was there that I kind of stumbled upon this world. I had actually been pitching a, an internship, which is kind of funny, to the International Olympic Committee around their gender equity work, around their diversity, equity, inclusion work. And then COVID happened and the Olympics and Paralympics were postponed. So I decided to do some work on my own. And what I had been pitching to the International Olympic Committee became my full-time job, which is Flame Bears, which is the first storytelling platform for women Olympians and Paralympians. And we tell stories via podcast, video, and live events. So that's how I got there, and I'm loving every minute of it. <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, it, can you talk a little bit more about your, your media background? I think that will help give us the evolution of, of all of this. Totally. So um, before grad school, I was living in Manhattan uh, for five years. I worked for the the media tech conglomerate of Yahoo, AOL, the Huffington Post. They've kind of changed their names many times, if I'm going to be yeah. honest. They're, <laughs> they are, they're currently uh, sitting under Verizon. And I managed our corporate social responsibility, so cause marketing. So essentially every year, the company would donate about $30 million of advertisements, of editorials to charitable causes. And my job was allocating it. So you can kind of think of it as a portfolio manager, but I was working with nonprofits and um, movements that were cause focused. Mm -hmm. And what I learned from that was I kind of learned how to speak media, if you will, this whole language of advertising, um, of clicks, of impressions. Um, so that I walked away from that job feeling like I could go and understand that world and also how to really grab people's attention, how to speak in the language of, of people who you're trying to get listen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because then you were able to talk with the International Olympic Committee, the IOC, which <laughs> that's got to be a little daunting to to talk to uh, you know a committee that's, you know, that global. Um, can you talk about, you know, from going from this, you know, this marketing into now talking with the IOC about this idea? Sure. Um, so it's, it's kind of funny. Um, this was all done via networking. So this was, you know, I knew someone who put me in touch with someone else. And it's kind of the, you know, you, you give someone, you trade a penny in for a quarter and you keep trading up. You keep, you know, <laughs> you keep working it up the ladder. So um, I never actually had uh, like an offer from the IOC that was that was was not set in stone. But I had many conversations with people on the board of the IOC who were excited about this idea. And it was 
literally through LinkedIn, through connections, through Dartmouth, uh, through Middlebury College, where I went undergrad, uh, where I'd say, hey, I think this is something that would add value. Um, I think I'm the right person to do the job for these reasons. And here's how I can support the mission and work you're doing. Um, it's kind of interesting. I think one of the common common threads throughout my career has been um, kind of this entrepreneurial spirit where if something doesn't exist, not just walking away and saying, oh, well, but saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to be the person, if, if it aligns with what I want to do, I'm going to be the person to make it happen. Uh, and I think that is kind of squarely within the domain of, of flame bearers in the sense that historically, 96% uh, of sports coverage has gone to male athletes. We're now up to 15% of sports coverage for women. A new study came out this year by Wasserman. So we're making progress, but I wanted to be a part of the solution um, and make th make some changes as opposed to just pointing out the problem. Right. And I suspect it's not just in coverage. You know, there's you know, other aspects of sport in which does flame bearers get into like equitable pay? Um exactly. You got it. So it's it's kind of interesting. We're we're at this unique point in the the sports media landscape. We don't do sports reporting, so we're not going to go up against an ESPN. We're not going to go up against NBC with the Olympics. But if you want to know the backstories of these women, we're, we tell we do storytelling. So we focus on who these athletes are. What do they care about? Who are the most influential people in their lives? Let's sit down with them. So let's let's talk to Sue Bird's sister. Let's talk to her nieces. Um, let's talk to the Paralympian's child um, mm -hmm. and get their perspective on the athlete. So so yes, we talk about the things that matter most to the athletes, and and that can range from pay equity. We talked to Becky Sauerbrunn, who's the captain of the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team, who led the pay equity lawsuit. Uh, that was one of the main things she wanted to focus on. We've talked to athletes who are very focused on environmental causes because they're outside, they're rowing all day. They deeply care about the environment. We've talked to athletes um, like Nikki Nieves, who is deeply passionate about racial justice and the Black Lives Matter movement. So we really try to come in, not with a narrative that we wanna push, but we say, hey, you're in the driver's seat. What is it that you actually wanna talk about? And we'll build your story around that. And, you know, looking through your, your podcast, um, I noticed, I think it was one of your first guests was Castor Semenya. Yes. 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 We worked with Castor. Which is, uh, uh, you know, quite a story, um, it, you know, and for those listeners that may not be familiar with, with her story, can you talk a little bit about that and, you know, what was trying to be brought to light? Um, Cause there was a lot of, uh, you know, debate about this whole um, you know, not just Castor, but she was kind of the the forefront, you know, the, unfortunately, the poster child, if you will, for this this debate that was going on with the, you know, in the, the International Athletic Federation. Right. That exactly. was, was pushing this. Yeah, okay. exactly. Go ahead, <laughs> please. No, yeah. I'm so I'm so glad you brought Castor up. I am such a fangirl. Um, so Castor is a two time Olympic gold medalist, a three time world champion. She's from South Africa. She is a woman of color. She is a born a woman, identifies as a woman, um, and has naturally high testosterone levels. So um, there were, she was charged with uh, basically being told that she could not compete in the Olympics unless she lowered her naturally, her, her, her testosterone levels, which they're what she was born with. Um, mm -hmm. She has not taken any drugs to enhance her performance. Um, so this is, I think, a lot of confusion with Castor comes because people generally confuse her with a lot of the trans conversations. And I, I think this is a very different conversation than that. Um, she is a woman, identifies as a woman, has been a woman her entire life. So I just, I just like to be very upfront about that. And she was barred from competing in Tokyo. Um, so she has missed out on major competitions because of her naturally high testosterone levels. She tried to, to take the uh, medications to reduce her testosterone, and it dramatically impacted her mood. She became depressed. She became, um, she gained weight. It it altered her natural body. Um, so it's, it, I think this is on the forefront of the conversation of who gets to decide who is a female and mm. what those lines are. Um, I talked to a number of doctors um, throughout the Harvard ecosystem 
who are endocrinologists, um, really helping me understand what are the guidelines and what, you know, who, who knows, who sets the regulations around sex. And my conclusion coming out of those conversations with multiple Harvard, Harvard doctors is that we still don't know. Mm-hmm. These are still very much things that are up for debate. Uh, so I think Castor is the poster child of someone who has been caught in the crosshairs of um, something that I think is really unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, she um, She's uh, one of, uh, I believe, I don't know if it's recognized, but she held the world record in the 800 meters. Exactly. Um, and so the last I knew of this, and please you know, correct me if I'm wrong, um, the what the uh, IAAF had handed down was that in order to run in events under 5,000 meters, you were supposed to have a, a testosterone level. I don't remember what the level was offhand, but they wanted testosterone level to be below a certain level in order to compete in those events and be on a more, as they term it, equitable playing field with the rest of the competitors. Is that correct? Is that, that where is we correct. still stand? That is still where we stand. That's mm-hmm. still where we stand. Okay. Um, and this was handed down from, uh, was it Sweden? Was Sweden? Uh, hand- Switzerland. 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 Excuse me. So Switzerland handed this down. And so my, I, I guess my confusion, I, I don't know if you can answer this question is why is Switzerland able to hand down this decision that would affect a, an African athlete or, you know, any athlete at all? Are, I'm I'm not going to be able to speak super knowledgeably about that. My understanding is that she brought this to court in Switzerland um, with some international regula- regulatory body. Okay. I don't do not quote me on that though. I'm okay. not positive. Okay. Just, um, yeah. Okay. I didn't yeah. know if there was any update to this story because this was big. What was it two summers ago that this exactly really came down? Now, uh, so all right. So nothing's moved along, unfortunately, because well, her. Go ahead. I'm sorry. But one thing I would say, um, Castor recently came out with her own book. So it's called The Race to Be Myself. It's excellent. Um, if anyone is hearing this and thinks this is an interesting storyline, wants to hear what this was like for her, uh, you could definitely check out my podcast with her. That's two years old, though. So that's, this is at the height of the controversy. She just published this two months ago. It's really excellent. You can buy it on Amazon. It's called The Race to Be Myself. And it's all about um, her struggles to just show up and to compete. And, um, I will certainly put that in the show notes as well as a link to the the episode. So people can hear the story because it is, it's, it's something that seems to be not well addressed and, and almost unfounded. Um, like they came up with these guidelines and where was, you know, what's the basis for this? So, um, thank you for, for sharing that story. Um, you mentioned some of the other things that Flame Bears wants to bring to light. Um, yeah. Something that you didn't mention, which is really affecting sport right now as well, is um, female pregnancy and what that means to a female's not only her contract, but to her future with companies and such. Um, have you spoken to women uh, and addressed this issue as well? Um, a bit. Um, it's definitely something that is on the minds of many of the athletes. Um, it, it, it impacts female athletes in a different way than it does male athletes. The conversations Absolutely. I've had have been around strategic planning. So how these athletes think about when they're actually going to get pregnant. And they have to be insanely strategic about it because of international competitions, the Olympics, the Paralympics. So I've had conversations with athletes forecasting, okay, right after Paris or right after Tokyo is when my husband and I or my partner and I are going to try to get pregnant because I have a one to two year period through which I I can get pregnant and then I have to rehab. So a lot of the conversations that I have been having have not been as much on the the sponsorship side, mm-hmm. um, though I have uh, definitely heard and read some kind of some remarks and obviously conversations like from the likes of Alice and Felix. Um, but the conversations I've had have been more around um, systematically trying to structure their life around a system that what didn't include childbirth in the plan. <laughs> and I'm sorry, did you say you got to speak with Alice and Felix? No, we have not. We have not gotten to speak with Alice yet. 
I got you. So Allison, if you're listening, we would love to chat with you. <laughs> I, I would love it if Allison was listening to this podcast. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure that she's not. But um, for those that don't know Allison Phoenix's story, she is one of the most decorated and amazing 200 meter and 400 meter um, sprinters that the U.S. has ever had. Um, she was pregnant <laughs> and that pregnancy um, went into, um, we'll say, dispute with her sponsor, who at the time was Nike. Um, and Nike said that she wasn't upholding her contract. So was going to, I don't remember if it was pay her less because of, um, her becoming pregnant or if they were going to void the contract. Do you remember that? Um, I believe I, they were, they said she was not upholding her end of the deal. Um, mm. so I think that's when she chose to walk away. Right. And since, um, Allison has created with her brother, her own footwear line, <laughs> which is super cool. Um, yeah. That's, and I have a pair. I'm a huge yeah. fan. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, she has her own spikes, which is it's super cool that she has come up and done her own thing. So, uh, you know, really cool story there as well. Um, Actually, and, Aaron, one other point. So sorry to interrupt. One other no, point on maternity. I, I totally forgot. We worked with three-time Paralympic medalist Deja Young, and she did a whole, her whole story, excuse me, was about postpartum, postpartum depression, and specifically how within the athlete community, no one talks about that. So Sorry to interrupt. Just wanted to throw in that other example. No, that that's fantastic because you know I don't think we have brought to light that this is not only for um, you know able body, if we will, athletes. This is also for the Paralympics as well and the para athlete, um, which is fantastic because I think that is an even you know more less heard from population in that regard, um, and you know, it, those athletes obviously deserve just as much attention, um, as what, you know, uh, any other athlete does. So, um, <laughs> um, why don't you touch on that a little bit as well and your relationship with the Paralympics? Yeah, sure. So I threw out those statistics around women's sports coverage. Um, pretty much all of the coverage that has gone to women has gone to athletes without physical disabilities. Um, this past Paralympics was actually the first time that they were ever shown on primetime television in the United States. There, so there is a vast um, quantity disparity in terms of coverage. There's also a massive quality issue. Um, and this, this runs the gamut across all athletes and all women athletes. But in particular with para-athletes, um, one of the tropes of coverage is kind of this concept of pity porn, um, of portraying para-athletes as sources of inspiration who've overcome all this, all these different obstacles. And yes, that is true of some of them, but many of them do not associate with that narrative. Many of themselves um, don't even use the word disabled. They use, they use other words. So I think one of the, the common things or common threads that I've learned with working with para-athletes is that A, everyone uses different terminology and that it's important to speak in, in the terms and the words that, that they use. And that too, Oftentimes, they don't want to be portrayed as sources of inspiration because of their disability. They want to be portrayed as badass, amazing, incredible, strong athletes, just like people without physical disabilities. Um, you asked about my relationship with Para. Um, I wish that I could say that I have been an advocate of Para sports my entire life. That is not true. Um, I would be, be lying. Um, instead, I have to credit this idea to one of my advisors um, when I was starting Flamebears. So this was during the George Floyd protests and at the height of Black Lives Matter. Now I am a white individual and I was having many conversations with some of my white friends about the responsibility of white people to have these conversations around race. And one of my takeaways from BLM is that as a white person, Historically, a lot of the burden of having conversations around race have fallen on the shoulders of black and brown people. And my advisor challenged me. She said, Jamie, how can you apply that learning to what you're doing with flame bears? It seems like there's a whole group of, of athletes who you are ignoring because you do not have a physical disability. And I said, you know what, you're right. Um, the, the responsibility and the burden of physical disability and ability should not squarely fall on the shoulders of people with physical disabilities. In order to be a better ally, a better advocate, 
Um, there's a role that I can play as someone who does not have a physical disability in elevating and championing the voices and the stories of people with physical disabilities. So that's where it came from. Yeah. And you, you just completed the New York city marathon. Is that right? You just Boston ran? marathon. I you did New York Boston. six okay. years ago, six years ago. Crazy. Okay. Um, <laughs> Well, and thinking about, um, and I just worked with the Challenged Athlete Foundation this summer as a fundraiser. Um, and so I'm going to term them Challenged Athletes. Um, so the Challenged Athlete Division in New York City Marathon was probably one of the first media present races that I ever witnessed to see that there was athletes with disabilities that were in the same race as, you know, athlete, just, you know, non-challenged athletes, we'll say. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, credit to New York City Marathon and the Boston Marathon as well. Um, you know, they, they both have been doing this for a long time because I watched the New York City Marathon back in the early 90s, uh, you know, and I can remember seeing, you know, the what then was termed the wheelchair division, right? Right. Um, and we still see that to this day, that it has been ever present. And, you know, they always pan over to the race leaders, both male and female, and show, you know, what their what their lead is, how they're doing. And they, they always show their finishes and as well as their award ceremony, which I think is fantastic to bring this yeah. because that brought light to me when I was young. Right. And as an impression youth, I could see, you know, that there was this ability. And, you know, as I spoke to you in high school track, our state recognizes the challenged athlete along with everyone else they are allowed to compete at the state level well they're allowed to compete all throughout the season but as well as by you know qualifying for the state meet and and compete for their team and score points for their team which is amazing you know to have these kids included um last year at the state meet there were also kids with mental disabilities that came out wow. and were, were able to run they had they were not in they were allowed to compete but they were not they were just it was an inclusion piece which was fantastic so there's so many pieces and components to this and pieces of our sport that we need to recognize yeah. and and welcome and you know we you were talking about how you know the the females not only need to be recognized but these athletes as well it's the growth of our sport will continue. And, and I use growth of our sport in running in, in all disciplines, be it track, yeah. road, trail. And that's what trail right now. And that's a lot of my audience's trail. It, the focus is on increasing the number of women representatives in our sport. Um, we are now, uh, I ran the Leadville 100 miler this past oh my summer. Gosh. And that, that was who impressive. I <laughs> Thank you. Um, that was who I raised <laughs> money for the Challenged Athletes Foundation. And there were actually you know, challenged athletes, there were, um, double amputees that were racing. Wow. It was incredible. You know, I, I had never been to a trail race in which I saw such a presence. Um, so our sport is starting to be more inclusive, which is fantastic. And I think, you know, the mission of, uh, flame bearers is fantastic to bring this to light because there are so many issues. And as you said, you know, females face a lot more issues than some of their male counterparts, right. Especially with mm -hmm. pregnancy. Uh, which is, uh, you know, awesome to, to, uh, to put out there. Um, it's, and, uh, I mean, it's amazing to see races start to make concessions as well for, for women that are pregnant, going back to that, you know, we now have, if you become pregnant and you were accepted into a race that, you know, perhaps is a lottery, then you are allowed to defer. Right. So oh, cool. I mean, we're taking into consideration so many things and acknowledging and this is all, you know, because people like yourself are are making people aware there is things that happen in a female life that needs to be accommodated for. Yeah. Um, and so um, I, I'm sorry, I've been so run centric. <laughs> um, no. Why don't you speak to some of the other athletes that you've had on the podcast that you've represented and, and, and share some of their stories with us? Sure. Um, and thanks for saying that, Aaron. That, that means a lot. Um this question is always really hard for me. I feel like I'm being asked to like choose between my unborn children. Um, <laughs> well, then why don't you speak to one of your most yeah. recent podcasts that's it's <clears throat> fresh in your brains? That way we're not yeah, <laughs> selected. Sure. Um, so this one has not gone live yet, uh, okay. but we're going to, it's going to drop in the next week or two. It's, it's with Michelle Akers, who is FIFA player of the century in soccer. Um, she was on the first. U.S. women's national soccer team. So in honor of 
the World Cup this past summer, we did a whole special edition with the first U.S. women's national team. Nice. Um, this was in 1985. This is a team <clears throat> that historically has not uh, been recognized by, by U.S. soccer. They are now recognized. Um, this is before there was a, a Women's World Cup, before women's soccer was in the Olympics. So many of these players, um, to kind of paraphrase, feel pushed aside, ignored. And what is so cool about Michelle's story, here is literally the considered the, the goat of women's soccer. She is you know, the, the athlete uh, who so many of the household names like Megan Rapino or Alex Morgan knew about growing up. And I'm, you know, and the only thing she wanted to do was to lift up her teammates. So, so much of her story is about giving voice. And the reason we did this entire special edition was to champion the athletes who played that one year on the national team and then never played again uh, because she felt like they deserve the credit um, and had been kind of frequently overlooked throughout history. So what I think is so cool about Michelle is she's one of the, you know, the greatest superstars in soccer period in the world. And she is one of the humblest persons you'll ever meet. She lives on a horse farm right now. And all she wanted to do was give credit to her original teammate. That's awesome. That's fantastic. I mean, <laughs> when we think back, um, you know, I can think of um, women in, in history that are very influential to me, like Mia Hamm, for instance. Right. Uh, that it, like I can think she was probably one of the first women that I can recognize in my recollection of really having that, you know, forefront of the sport kind of, yep. again, a poster child. Right. Um, and and kind of an advocate for, you know, the women playing and and, and being successful. Um <laughs> You know, I, like there, there also is the piece that um, when we look at sport, right there, if we put out um, a, a picture of a woman, um, I don't know if you've had a chance to talk with Shakari, Shakari Richardson. I have not. She's um, that is someone who we are we are dying to speak with, and she has been kind of. Um, on the fence about media. <laughs> totally. Um, and for those that don't recognize the name, uh, Shikari just won the 100 meter world championships this past year. Um, and so sh the way that, that Shikari like, kind of approaches media is that she feels that she should be um, paid for her appearances, right? Yeah. Um, but which right or wrong yet yeah, like you know most athletes aren't paid by the media or even the the race organization to to talk to the media that's typically their choice with you know if they talk to their agent but yeah. um you know when when something like that comes along um where where does your organization try to like steer an athlete if you can like do you do you talk to athletes that have kind of that standoffish approach do you are you able to consult with them at all how does do you do anything in that nature are you talking about the compensation part or are you talking no. about kind of more her reticence to talk right to yes exactly like is there um i guess like a tutelage to athletes mm. um you know and how they should approach <laughs> the media or not approach the media like do you uh, does your organization have a, a, a piece of that or uh, you know do you know of any organization that does so it's so interesting and it's such a good point. One of the the spaces that we are trying to play in is this this i this idea of us being an advocate or a supporter of of the athletes. I think one of the fears that many athletes, um, like Shakari, like Michelle, um, specifically older athletes who were from previous generations or women of color, uh, have felt frankly bulldozed by the media. Um, they felt like their words have been twisted, their their narratives co-opted. Um, so I understand where the mistrust comes from. It's not made up. It's coming from decades of, of misuse of their words, of uh, being mislabeled. Uh, so I understand that. The first thing that we do is to just kind of go in it to, to allay their fears is to outline the process, is to say, Hey, if you do work with us, we want to make sure you know that you have approval at every phase of the of the process. If you say something that you dislike, we'll take it out. Nothing will go live without your consent. 
and really that this is an opportunity for them to have their story told how they want it told. That this is this is an opportunity to actually get it right when for so many years people have gotten it wrong. And what we found is through trust building, and it's just literally showing up continuously and showing them that we're actually, we mean that, we're not going to take advantage of them. We're not going to twist their words. Um, that many athletes' fears kind of go away. Uh, but it does it does take time and it does take getting in the door, um, which is frequently the hardest part. Absolutely. And do you have an example of, of one of those, you know, that you had to go through and, and gain their trust? And, and if it's not a comfortable conversation, I understand that as well. Yeah. You know, with with Michelle in the beginning, um, she was reticent just because she has um, been misportrayed by the media many times. Um, with there's an athlete on the International Olympic Committee refugee team, Masuma Alizada from Afghanistan. Um, she was reticent to work with us in the beginning. And I literally became her number one fan on Instagram for a year, literally <laughs> just showing up and saying, hey, I'm still here. Um, I'm actually here to support you. Um, and finally, after a year of supporting her, she came back and said, yeah, I'm happy to chat with you. But, and, you know, in the beginning, she was like, who are you? Why should I trust you? <laughs> you know, there's, they get a lot of requests. So you have to show up day in and day out to show them that you, you are actually who you say you are. And that brings up an interesting point. And not only that you are international now, I, I think your website said you represent, was it 28 nations or 48? I'm sorry. We're up to 49 now. 49. All right. <laughs> 49. So we have to update the website. <laughs> uh, so 49 nations are represented. You have to take into consideration cultural differences. Um, yeah. And um, what has that experience been like? It's been incredible. So um, undergrad, I was an international affairs major. I've always been really passionate about understanding people and where they come from and their backgrounds and, and frankly, what makes them tick and what makes them who they are. And I think it was this curiosity of wanting to find bridges um, again, this was, you know, during a time of great polarization that I, I started Flame Bears within, within the country of the United States, and there was a lot of political turmoil. And I think sports is something that everyone can relate to. Um, it doesn't matter if you are from a country on the opposite side of the world, running a race is running a race. And you know if you're fast, if it, you know you know who wins, and you know you know who does not. And I think it's something that can bring people together. So, you know, when having these conversations, we're trying to spotlight people who've had experiences that are similar to our own, but then also vastly different. What does it mean to you know to be the top para badminton player in all of Africa? What's that like? She has to do all, her name is Rita Simway. She has to do all of her own fundraising. She is responsible for getting herself to the Paris Paralympics. That's vastly different than being on the U.S. para badminton team. Um, so it's, it's just interesting to hear those stories because I think it helps contextualize for me, my own life um, and some of the privileges and advantages that I've had. Uh, but it also is a source of unity because you know, good stories are something that everyone can relate to. And when you hear these stories, um, for instance, her having to fundraise her way to the Paris Olympics, um, I imagine it's really hard not to want to intervene or interject. Do you find yourself doing so? Um, so it's incredibly hard. Uh, <laughs> we have taken the line that we are providing our support by providing media coverage. Um, so that is the tool that we are best equipped to provide um, and that by amplifying her message, by getting in front of more people, uh, that that is how we can give back. But yes, it is incredibly challenging. I, you know, I, I love these athletes. I want them to succeed. I do everything I can um, for them. But at the end of the day, every single athlete who approaches me for funds, I cannot give to. So um, I would, I would be way, way in debt. So I'm trying to walk the line of, nope, but this is how we can help you. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Um, what does your team look like? Um, aside from yourself, what does that team look like for you? Sure. So I have five teammates um, who are based around the world. Uh, we have a director of marketing and brands. Um, we have um, individuals from um, a, 
where is it? She's in India, Nigeria, um, and England. And the reason we do this is it's important because we do have an international community that the team is actually representative of the athletes we work with. Um, and it's also really cool because, um, you know, my teammate in India will say, Hey, Jamie, did you know about this athlete who I had not heard of, but is a household name in India or the same with my Nigerian teammate. So it's really cool because, um, they pick up on the chatter on, of what's going on domestically for them. That is very different for, um, for what it is for me here in the U S that's incredible. Yeah. And it helps diversify your, your crowd, which is great. Totally. Um, and so when you say that you, um, represent 49 nations, um, how is it that you help represent the nation and how do you, um, how do you start to develop relations with another nation? Sure. So what we'd say is we say we've worked with athletes from 40, 49 different countries. Okay. <laughs> um, and what we do is I think our, our top growth factor right now is actually word of mouth. So our goal coming into every conversation with every athlete is that we have an incredibly positive experience that they walk away feeling like this was a customized interview tailored for them and that they want to pass it on. So we've had a very high success rate of every athlete saying, hey, you should talk to my friend um, who is this type of athlete and she's from this country. So um, that's actually how we've been expanding internationally. The quickest is just by referrals from the athletes themselves. That's amazing. And um, where does this all stem from? Where did Jamie, <laughs> where did she start getting this this uh, idea and, and formulating and, and trying to to get this um, more of a, a reality because this is so big and yeah. broad. Um, where did that all come from? So it's, um, I think I mentioned how it, it was supposed to be an internship when I was at grad school. I think what gave me the courage to turn it into a full-time job actually stemmed from personal loss. Um, I, I mentioned that I had been in the corporate space before, um, at the time, right before starting this work, I had just lost my dad to brain cancer. And then I had almost lost my mom in the same year. And it was um, this wake up call for me that I was like, you know what, what are you doing with this one precious life you have? This is not a dress rehearsal. And I think the courage to step outside of the box to do something vastly different than I would have expected, but something that brought me tremendous joy that uh, I thought hopefully added significant value to our society and to our world and could be a beacon of hope and light for others um, was the direction that I wanted to go in. But it took that that kind of wake up call, that jarring um, loss to to trigger me into that mode. Otherwise, I probably would be back in the corporate environment. But I'm very glad that's that's not what I'm doing. <laughs> awesome. And so. Well, you had approached the IOC, right? But you said that you went on without, you know, engaging the IOC. Is that correct? Correct. So um, essentially when the world went into lockdown and right. the Olympics and the Paralympics were were up in the air, no one knew what was going to happen. Uh, the days kept going. So I decided that I was going to apply for funding within the Harvard ecosystem, build out a team to actually make make flame bearers happen. Um, and it started just off as a podcast that summer. Um, we did a, a number of episodes with women who were trying to compete in Tokyo. Um, and the next season uh, ended up being people who were going to Beijing, so the Beijing Olympics and Paralympics. The season after ended up being what happens after the game. So when all the fans and the cameras go home, guess what? These athletes are still grinding. They're still showing up day in and day out. Um, and by the time I, I ended up graduating, I realized that this idea had real legs, um, that there was real interest and real demand, and um, that investment in women's sports was was increasing. So I thought I'd give this a shot as my full-time job. <laughs> have you uh, reapproached the IOC in the meantime? <clears throat> I have not. I have not. Uh, the reason for that, and I think in certain ways, this was actually a blessing in disguise. Being independent gives you a lot of flexibility. Um, within any organization, 
Um, there's a lot of red tape. There's a lot of rules. There's a, and, and for good reason that, you know, there's a lot of particulars around branding, which all makes fantastic sense. Um, and I understand them, but I think I really love the flexibility and the independence to kind of call the shots and to tell stories, frankly, that, um, aren't always super peachy. So, you know, like the caster story, mm-hmm. um, very much was on Castor's side, uh, was told from the angle of Castor. Um, so against the Federation's ruling to let her run. Um, and I don't know if I would be able to tell those stories if I was affiliated with an organization like that. Right, right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, have you be able to form any relationships with any of the, the governing bodies? Um, you have you've opened communications with them and kind of expressed... Right. Yeah, quite a few. That's actually been one of the other ways that we've um, received um, some athlete nominations or had conversations. Um, <clears throat> frequently, um, I'll be in touch with the head, uh, basically uh, the national governing body chairs um, of different people within different sports. So that's definitely a line of communication that that we are exploring and trying to to lean more into. Right on. Any dream athletes uh, do you have like a, a a bucket list of athletes that you would like to to get on the podcast i do um you already <laughs> mentioned one um yeah. well actually you've mentioned a couple of them but i'm gonna say simone biles um mm-hmm. i would love to get simone i have never been a gymnast but i think what she's done for the mental health conversation has been yeah. um absolutely outstanding richardson who you mentioned i think would be absolutely incredible um, especially given um, her her loss with her her mother, um, I think that that would be a really interesting conversation. Naomi Osaka is another one. Right on. Um, thinking of um, not that it happened to Simone, and it, it maybe it did. Um, I'm trying to remember her story, um, but we also have this conversation of inappropriate relations with maybe it's a coach, maybe it's a trainer. Um, have you shared some of those stories as well on the podcast? We have, you know what, actually, yes. Um, my gut reaction was we have not, but that's not true. Cindy Gordon, um, who was part of that special edition with the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team, um, talked about being sexually harassed by her coach and decades later sharing that for the first time. Gotcha. Um, and the pain and the suffering that she went through because of that. Um, that's, that's definitely something that we have done. And it was, it was an incredible conversation. And I was deeply honored that, that Cindy felt safe and comfortable to be able to share that because obviously it's, uh, it's traumatizing. Yes. Yeah. Difficult to talk about for sure. Um, within the podcast, is there a certain level of athlete that you look to speak to? Do they need to be on the world stage performing at a world championship or at an Olympic level? So um, broadly, it's Olympian and Paralympian or seeking to to qualify. So we have worked with a number of athletes who were seeking to qualify, missed qualification. And what I think is interesting about that is you get to show the struggle, not just not just the people who are for sure in, but the bubble players, the players who are on the edge who can hopefully make it. Uh, but universally, it's Olympians and Paralympians. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Um, any other piece that we're missing here that you want to talk about that you know is is really imp- you know important to the uh, the Flame Bearers organization? I think the the one thing that I would love to throw out there, um, and I put myself in this in the the group to blame as well um historically i think people kind of point to media corporations and say they're not doing enough to support a b and c groups um they're not showing enough athletes who play this sport they're not showing enough black and brown athletes they're not showing enough para athletes they're not you know a b and c and yes that is true um my my call to action would be for individuals, people who have the ability to show up to games, to buy merchandise, to follow female athletes on social media. And I would say, yes, um, 
media organizations absolutely have a crucial role in this, but there's also an opportunity for ownership at the individual level that we as individuals have the ability to show up to professional women's sports games, to take our children or our friends out for a night and, and go watch them compete. And that really showing up individually, I think, um, is what we can all do. So I just like to shift the blame a little bit because I think it's also a massive opportunity for everyone who has listened to this and say, yeah, that's really cool. What can I do about it? I'd say go to games, buy their merch, follow them on social media. Those are three easy, low-hanging fruit ways that everyone can be um, more supportive of women's sports. That's wonderful. That is wonderful. Jamie, you're doing an amazing thing here, and I'm so honored that you came out to, to talk about it. So I want to thank you for your time and for being a part of this. Thank you so much for having me, Aaron. This was, this was wonderful. Thank you again. Once again, thank you, Jamie. That was just a powerful conversation. Um, I hope that it does prompt us to follow more women in our sport and engage and you know watch women's sports be a part of trying to get it as part of our media. Um, so, you know, Jamie, thank you again for your work. Just a wonderful conversation. So um, I'm going to move on here and kind of talk about what's going on in uh, my world. It's been a busy week. <laughs> uh, I did end up racing the uh, South Mountains Half Marathon. And uh, my friend Nathan, who um, we were going to run together, uh, we started going up the first climb. And I noticed Jace, uh, Nathan was starting to chase the leaders. So I told him, go ahead, close that gap, go get him. Uh, one of his friends was racing, and uh, I think his competitive juices got going, and Nathan ended up winning the race, uh, which was fantastic. His friend took second, um, and then a, a young man named Michael took third. Uh, I was fourth. I uh, had a really good uh, race against uh, Brendan Smith and Charlie King. Uh, Charlie sat in third for a long time until uh, Michael passed him about mile nine-ish, uh, and, um, he and Brandon, Charlie and Brandon continued to go back and forth in fourth and fifth place. And I sat in sixth, uh, around mile, we'll say 10, I came by Charlie on a downhill and Charlie was going to latch on to me, but I guess, um, he, he wasn't having the greatest day. Um, uh, Charlie, I think he still ran well and had a, a great race. I know Charlie listens. So, um, congratulations on a, on a well-fought race, Charlie, you ran really well and really strong. Know that. Um, I then proceeded to, um, get behind Brandon Smith and, um, Brandon said, Hey, Aaron, just, just pass me, <laughs> go by. And he was running really well. And Brandon, if you hear this, you were running extremely well, but when Brandon let me by, I continued forward, um, and ended up in fourth place and first masters. So, um, a, a well, <laughs> well fought race. I was exhausted. I put a lot of it on the line. Um, you know, my lack of fitness, uh, it did show a bit. Um, you know, even though I took fourth, I, I really had to fight and run hard to to run fourth, probably too hard because I took Monday off. Uh, the race was Sunday, so I took Monday off and uh, ran Tuesday. I'm recording this on Wednesday. Uh, I could tell my heart rate was still high. I was just doing a 90-minute a, a run in zone two on my treadmill. We had a really big rainstorm yesterday, so I just stayed on the treadmill and, and tried to stay zone two and noticed that I couldn't really bump up the pace. My heart rate in zone two was pretty high at a slower pace than what I'm used to, uh, which is just my body telling me it, it wasn't recovered yet. So Woke up this morning early, jumped on the treadmill again, just because it's going to be a crazy day. And um, I got two hours in. Um, heart rate was much better. Uh, I ran at the same speed as I did yesterday, but my heart rate was much lower. So I bumped it up um, twice and, uh, you know, uh, 0.2 miles per hour. So 0.1 each time. And um, heart rate still stayed in zone two. So it's coming back around. Obviously, it's, it's you know, race Sunday, it's now Wednesday, still kind of recovering. So it was a very hard effort and I am getting older. So it takes me a little bit longer to recover. But you know, just as an example to you of how you can look at what your heart rate's doing to see how you're recovering and see when you can push again. Um, I was going to lift 
uh, yesterday on Tuesday, but uh, with the way my body felt, uh, that that's still high heart rate. Um, you know, I decided just to hold off on lifting. I'll see if I get it in today or tomorrow. Um, uh, as I said, today's a pretty crazy day. Just glad I was able to fit in that two hour run. Um, but, um, but lifting has been really good. I've been doing two days a week. Um, coach Will France has been helping me with the programming. Um, I'm shifting. Uh, we kind of did two weeks in, um, just kind of, a, if you will, base building lifting phase. And now we're getting into a heavier lift, um, you know, and I'm just going to continue to run zone two and zone three for a while. Um, as I kind of spoke about last week, I recognize that what I did last year greatly diminished my aerobic capacity. I, my, you know, my body just needs this slow build back up. I'm not ready to do workouts as evidenced by the half marathon. Um, my endurance is great. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm still able to run around 10 minutes, you know, maybe a little bit slower than that in zone two, but, um, I want that to continue to come down. So I'm, I'm working on zone two, just trying to get my aerobic base really heavy because the, the great news, and, and you may have seen it on social media or on Strava, I posted that I got into the high lonesome 100 in Colorado, which I'm super excited about having not gotten into, um, hard rock. I, you know, I'm really looking forward to going back out to high lonesome, uh, idea, you know, that I have in my mind. Now, will this work with my family is that my daughter and I go out for a few weeks prior to high lonesome and camp out and just have, you know, some training time out there where I can, you know, get used to and acclimatized to the altitude so that I can have, you know, hopefully a good race, but we shall see. Uh, you know, there are a lot of obligations, um, to my family, obviously that I have to make sure are fulfilled and I can't just go out and gallivant. So, um, but you know, I'm excited about high lonesome. I also signed up for, um, no business 100 in October. It's right around my birthday. I don't know what the cross country season looks like at this time. Um, so, uh, if I'm still coaching cross country, um, then I will, you know, I hope to be, but you know, I don't know what the schedule will look like and if it will allow me to compete at, um, no business 100. I, it's my goal to, I would love to, I hear such great things about it. I've been in communication with the, um, the race directors because they took over the Solly frosty foot, which I used to direct. And I've been communicating with them about Solly and you know, how it works, how it operates ideas. Uh, so, uh, I really would like to run one of their events. Um, you know, I can't run Solly this year unfortunately uh it's my daughter's birthday so <laughs> i'll be celebrating her birthday uh and not going to Sally. my next race will be the cabin fever 50k in west virginia um that is i think february 17th i want to say yeah uh, well, i'm sorry february uh yeah february 17th so i look forward to that in west virginia uh as i said my endurance is fine just really need to continue to build my base um that you know the illness that i had turning into pneumonia um that didn't help much at all and you know kind of behind where i want to be in training but uh, uh you know that's okay it is what it is we make changes we you know we reformulate the game plan um so that's where i'm at that's where my training's at um some updates on races to come this year so super exciting super exciting year super excited about high lonesome obviously obviously still on uh, super high about running hellbender so lots of good things happening um, so if you want to follow my training, uh, check out on Strava, you know, it's not very exciting right now, as I said, as I'm just doing a lot of zone two running and just trying to control my heart rate and make sure that I build up my aerobic capacity and all the gains that I get from running in zone two. Um, certainly if you have questions about what I'm doing and why feel free to ask, um, you know, ask me on Strava. Uh, I can talk about it more here on the podcast, but there's just so many benefits to running in, uh, zone two and zone three in your base. Um, it doesn't all have to be zone two. That's for sure. Uh, the reason I've had so much zone two of here late was, you know, because of the race and as well as because of recovery. Um, you know, I, I noticed that when I go into my Coros app, um, my, my recovery score is a lot better right now because of how much zone two I'm running. Um, my time of recovery to the next, um, exercise belt, it, it has been, you know, greatly diminished because of, even if I ran two hours today, it says, you know, I have probably 17 hours till full recovery. My HRV score has been great. 
um, and as well as my resting heart rate. So all of the signs point to indications that I am not overreaching right now, which is great. Um, looking at resting heart rate, HRV scores, um, as well as, you know, my, my heart rate and paces during the runs. So it's, you know, all indications are pointing, I'm doing the right thing right now and building the right way. So take that for what it's worth. (laughs) Um, other things, uh, coaching, uh, I have had a slew of people reach out to me for coaching and, you know, I can't say how much joy that brings to my heart. A number of them are repeat athletes. Um, it feels like such a compliment when, you know, previous athletes reach back out to me for training. I feel so good about that. I appreciate that greatly. Um, the unfortunate thing is that I am completely full right now. (laughs) So, um, if you're looking for coaching for the spring, um, I probably will not be able to do it. As I always say, it doesn't hurt to ask if you really want coaching. If you really like dig what I do and think you know I could be a good coach for you, please ask. Um, if I have room, I certainly will bring you on board. If I don't, you know, please don't be um, upset if I say I am full at this time. Uh, if you're looking ahead to the fall, I most likely will have openings. So, um, you know, again, if you're looking for coaching, maybe a conversation we want to have pretty soon for later in the year. Um, I can, you know, just keep listening to the podcast. I'll update my availability on here. I think it's the easiest way to do so. Um, but feel free to reach out. You can reach out to me through any of the means of communication that are listed in the show notes. Um, you know, visit my website, uh, if you have questions, uh, or want to learn more about my coaching or coaching philosophy, that's running is run. And, uh, I can probably answer a lot of your questions on there. Um, but if you have more questions and want to have a conversation, please, like I said, reach out. You can reach out to me through social media, through Strava, um, through the website. Uh, you know, it's, there's a million different ways to contact me. So feel free to do so. Uh, happy to have a conversation and I'm just honored that you would consider me as a coach. So thank you. Um, as always, I want to say thank you to my Patreon supporters. Uh, guys keep me, um, moving, motivated, inspired to keep plugging this episode, uh, plugging this podcast away, uh, and keep it moving forward. I can't believe we're over 200 episodes now. And you know, it's, it's been crazy because I try to get a podcast out every week and, um, you know, not having to repeat one, uh, nor miss one. It's been a pretty incredible experience and I really enjoy this platform. I I can't tell you how much I enjoy talking to people like Jamie and, and hearing about the flame bearers. Um, you can obviously tell I am a huge fan of running, um, by the, the examples that I asked Jamie about. I love sport. I love our sport, all pieces of it, the track, the road, the trail. Um, so, you know, if there's a conversation that you want to hear somebody you want to hear from, I will certainly see if I can get a conversation set up with them. It's amazing when you ask, uh, the people that say yes. Uh, it's not always the case, but um, if you guys have ideas or topics that you want to hear about, always reach out to me and let me know. Um, or if you yourself want to come on the podcast, by all means, you know, let me know. Um, I will be doing a podcast with the Trail Trash podcast, gentlemen. Um, we're going to record on uh, January 21st. So I look forward to my conversation with those guys. I truly enjoy their podcast. Um, if you haven't had a listen, check them out. Trail Trash Podcast. You can find them on your uh, favorite media player and, um, and enjoy their banter. They, they are uh, a comical bunch. I really enjoy their conversations. So check them out. Um, there's uh, there's just so much going on in the world right now um, between all the lotteries that are taking place. So I wish you well if you're still in a lottery uh, or if you're just registering for uh, one that you got into. Congratulations uh, as you build your season. You know, be thinking about how you're going to build it and how much you're doing. Right? Be smart about it. There's been a number of podcasts lately. Uh, the Coopcast come to mind. Uh, Trail Runner Nation comes to mind as to how to build your season. So, you know, um, I've had it on my podcast in the past. You can look at that up in, in my history, uh, but you know, have a listen, get some ideas for what you should be doing to prepare for your, a goal race. Okay. Um, good things to think about right now. Don't over sign up. (laughs) That's my biggest message. Um, 
But um, you know, I, I, I want to say real quick, thank you to Tanawa Adventures, to Brandon Thrower, Greg Little, and his crew, uh, and their crew, I should say, for putting on such a fun event. Now, the, the 50K and Marathon got postponed to January 27th, so uh, you know those guys did not get the race, but hopefully they will. And if you are in that race, good luck to you. Um, always, you know, I love seeing you guys doing stuff on Strava. I'm not on Strava as much as I used to just because I'm on training peaks with my athletes so often. So, um, I, I haven't been on Strava as much as, as I used to. So my apologies to, to all those people on uh, Strava. If I haven't liked your stuff in a while, it's not because I don't want to follow you. It's just my lack of time because of what, how much time I spend on training peaks. So, um, anyway, I really do appreciate all of you. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you being a part of the podcast. Um, I, I don't know what the next episode will be at this time. Usually I have an idea for a guest, uh, but uh, at this moment, uh, it's been so busy here lately, I haven't looked ahead, which I need to do. So um, we'll we'll see what next week brings. <laughs> it will be a surprise. So um Anyway, uh, I, I wish Rachel Blinn the best of luck. She is uh, currently racing the uh, Fierce Dragon 200 miler out in uh, the North Georgia mountains. Uh, she's incredible. She's had an incredible training block, so I hope she does great out there. Uh, Rachel, stay at it. And until next time, my friends, keep moving forward. <laughs>